You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy the Brandy Show. Hey, everybody. It's great to have you along. And uh, this podcast is going to be kind of fun because we're going to talk about current events that are going on in college football. And some of them are not real pleasant. Like, for instance, in the Big Ten, you've got Ohio State and Urban Meyer and that whole thing down there. You also have Maryland and DJ Durkin, who has big troubles. So those two Big Ten programs right now are really in trouble as you get ready for the season. The other thing I want to talk about today, and I know a lot of people have asked me, what did I do for the first Lions game that I haven't done in 31 years? Because for 31 years, I was at the Lions game, the first preseason game. Whenever the Lions played, I was there for the last 31 years. So a lot of people have asked me, what did you do? What was going on? What was going through your head? When they played their opener in the preseason against Oakland, out in Oakland, what were you doing? What went through your mind? I want to talk about that a little bit. Also, we're going to break down the Lions after that one preseason game with Scott Bischoff. Now, Scott's from the football guys and the Lions Wire. Guy knows Lions football. He knows personnel. He's really good. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Lions and what he saw and uh, what I saw in the first game against the Oakland Raiders. Meanwhile, we're going to get started. We'll talk about this college thing and uh, Urban Meyer and his issues down in Columbus. Just to repeat what was going on down there, when Urban Meyer was at the Big Ten meetings in July with the media, he was asked about uh, Coach Zach Smith, an assistant on his team, who he had just fired. And he was asked about a domestic abuse charge against them, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. That never really happened. Well, Ten days later, he was forced into saying, well, he didn't handle that real well. He knew it happened. He was aware of it. So the timeline is Meyer actually is aware of a 2009 incident also with Zach Smith and his wife while he was at Florida. He then hires Zach Smith at Ohio State in 2012. Then an incident occurs in 2015. Meyer claims he didn't know, but the victim claims he did because she informed Meyer's wife, who said she would tell Meyer about that incident. This is all part of this confusing story that Urban Meyer has gotten himself in trouble with. In July of 2018, Meyer finally fires this kid, Zach Smith, the alleged perpetrator in this domestic abuse deal. Now, on Wednesday, August 1st, nine police reports of domestic violence disputes were released by the Powell Police Department in Ohio, regarding Zach Smith and his wife. On Friday, August 3rd, Ohio State and Urban Meyer began what I would call their rehab. Meyer's letter, after a tweet, explained to Ohio State, and he actually called in this letter the Buckeye Nation, here's what's going on. And to me, that letter looked and sounded like it was crafted. I mean, 
Urban Meyer didn't sit down at his MacBook Pro and knock out this letter. Urban Meyer had somebody in the room with him because, in my opinion, it sounded like a cover-my-butt kind of a letter, and it was legal in that regard where he said he followed all the protocols in notifying his superiors regarding the issue of Zach Smith and his domestic abuse problems. Well, he had said earlier, 10 days prior, that he knew nothing about it. And now all of a sudden he's saying, I followed all protocols in notifying my superiors. So in my opinion, that's kind of throwing your athletic director, Gene Smith, under the bus to the the most degree. So from that perspective, that letter looked like it's legally, I'm covering my butt a little bit here from Urban Meyer's perspective. He did admit that he was not forthcoming at the Big Ten meetings and handled it poorly because he was unprepared. Now, this is just my opinion, remember. I find that hard to believe. This guy, Urban Meyer, is a control freak. He knows what goes on everywhere in his program, from every player uh, to every coach. He knows what's going on. Now, Zach Smith, also the alleged perpetrator of domestic violence, he made the rounds on Columbus Radio. He went on ESPN, and he was trying to rehab his own reputation, and that the media was getting it wrong in regards to the incident that they were involved with. And that, to me, uh, kind of smacked as one of those, I'm rehabbing my reputation, I'm rehabbing Urban's reputation, we're getting ahead of this and kind of covering it up, and we're going to make somebody else the bad guy in this deal. And I think what happened is, is they started to make Gene Smith the bad guy. Now, on August 3rd, Urban said, and this is in that letter, he followed proper reporting protocols and all procedures when learning of the incident involving a student athlete or coach, and I did so in 2015 regarding the Zach Smith issue. Well, there you go. So he knew about what was going on with Zach Smith and the domestic violence in 2015. Why is Zach Smith still on the job in 2018? That's the question I've got, and that's where Urban Meyer, I think, has to answer it. Now, These are all questions that are coming out. They're still doing an investigation at Ohio State. They say they're going to be done on August 19th. But my problem is I think Urban Meyer probably will survive this. Now, he may have a suspension where he's out for two or three or four games. I'm not exactly sure on that. The only thing I will say is that the whole explanation of this thing doesn't really sound true. It sounds like everybody has taken a position and now they're in three corners covering their butts. Like Ohio State's administration is one place investigating. They're trying to figure out what they can do to cause the least issues and least problems for the Ohio State University. Urban Meyer has staked out a position because of his letter where if they do tend to get rid of him or if they decide that maybe we ought to get rid of Urban and let him go, Urban's got a position because of the letter that he put out, that he followed all protocols, that if he goes, he would get his complete salary. And that would amount to about $38 million because his contract runs through 2022. And I think Gene Smith, the athletic director, is in the position now where if Urban says, I followed all protocols, Gene Smith's now on the hook as athletic director for not doing something about Zach Smith, the alleged perpetrator of domestic abuse. So you've got those three sides, and they're all trying right now to rehabilitate themselves and find a way for them to get out. I don't know. 
somebody will not survive. In my opinion, it's probably going to be Gene Smith as athletic director because if Urban does follow protocol and gave him all that information back in 2015 and Smith did nothing in regards to uh, Zach Smith, the alleged perpetrator, then I think you got a problem in regards to Gene Smith. Ohio State has to keep the reputation of the university intact. They've got donors. They've got boosters who do not want Ohio State's name dragged through the mud nationally. And that's one of their concerns. And that's where the administration and their board of trustees comes into it. And they want to make sure that they handle this in such a way so that it's taken care of, it's over, it's glossed over. But the thing about Ohio State University, remember this, folks, their football is king. Urban Meyer is king. If anywhere in the country this thing can kind of go away, it might be Columbus, Ohio, but there are other factors involved. And historically, Ohio State has gotten rid of coaches, and these are iconic coaches. Woody Hayes was fired a few days after he knocked a guy from Clemson in the mouth on the sideline of a Gator Bowl game. Jim Tressel for Tattoo Gate. After they found out and dug down to the bottom of that, Jim Tressel, who had won national championships, they actually got rid of him too. So I'm not saying that Urban Meyer is for sure not going to go. And if he does go, in my opinion, Urban probably will be bought out of his contract and they will move him along and Urban will not suffer monetarily from this deal. But more than likely, I think Gene Smith's on the hook on this deal right now. And so Urban is kind of out there and they're going to investigate it. And supposedly on August 19th, they're going to have an answer. Um, In my opinion, I think probably Urban survives. And uh, he goes two or three games suspension because in Columbus and in Ohio, Ohio State football is king. And they will not, I think, put an issue or, or take note or take uh, Ohio State and, uh, you know, the, the football coach away that has beaten Michigan six straight years. Uh, that, that's just that's just, to them. That's an anathema. That can't happen. So that's what I think is going on down in Columbus. And, and the thing that's interesting is that it's not just me that's saying this stuff. CBS called the August 3rd rehab attempt by these guys confounding, and Deadspin uh, said their answers never made any sense. But that's what they're dealing with in Columbus. They've got a national problem with CBS, Sports Illustrated, um, Deadspin, all of them saying none of this makes any sense. And not, right now in this investigation, they're trying to make it so they can have answers that do make sense. And in my opinion, based on what's happened, that's going to be extremely difficult. Now, that's the Ohio State deal. Let's take on Maryland now. D.J. Durkin has been suspended, the head coach there. And it's because of a uh, pattern of abuse. Uh, And I'm telling you, it's really sad to watch this happen in college football. Uh, They've had players and anonymous players and anonymous coaches talk about that there has been uh, an area in in, in Maryland football that they've gotten their their, – their team ready to go based on intimidation and based on bullying. And that's what the coaches do to the players. Well, that's not acceptable. You can't do that in college football. And just this week, uh, Maryland actually, which was surprising to me, accepted legal and moral responsibility for the mistakes made in their program. And these mistakes led to the death of a 19-year-old player named Jordan McNair. He died after going through a workout and he was a big offensive lineman, and apparently they didn't give him rest enough time or whatever, but the kid died of heat stroke. 
And, and that whole thing has blown up and it created this atmosphere that people came out and said, Hey, they were bullying the players. They were intimidating the players. They were making the players do things that was impossible physically for them to do given the conditions and the environment with the heat and the sun and the humidity that all blew up. And DJ Durkin, in my opinion, will not survive this. And DJ Durkin won't survive because it regards a death of a young man in his care. They've already fired, or he resigned, Rick Court, who was a sports performance coach, basically their strength and conditioning coach. So those are all the problems that are going on with Maryland. And the Maryland president of the university just yesterday strongly condemned the reports of verbal and physical abuse and intimidation of the coaching staff, as has been reported in the media. Well, now you got one guy saying it did happen and another guy saying it did. These are the things where it's a he said, she said, now you're in a real mess because that won't be decided real soon. And somebody is going to get in trouble, whether it's a player, a player's family, a mother, a dad, a former assistant coach. Who knows who's going to come out, but there's something there that's going to cause a problem. Now, Jordan McNair's family through this whole deal and their attorney has called for Durkin to be fired. And and before it's over, I think that's what's going to happen. And here's the deal. Think about how Maryland is in trouble. Their season opens September 1st against Texas. They don't have a head coach. They got their president doing a press conference this week talking about the program and how they accept moral responsibility and legal responsibility for a death of one of the players in the program. I mean, you want to talk about a program that is in disarray and probably heads into the season with no chance. They were not going to be great anyway, but now with all of this hanging over their head and a head coach that, let's be quite frank, we don't know whether he's going to be the head coach. Right now, Matt Canada, their offensive coordinator, is the interim head coach. How are they going to compete? And they're in the uh, Big Ten East. The Big Ten East includes Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Maryland is in a world of hurt. And um, this they can only blame on themselves because if if any of this stuff is true and if D.J. Durkin and his staff have engaged in this kind of coaching, uh, in today's world, you can't do that. You can coach hard. You can give them tough love. But what you've got to do is maintain a discipline amongst your staff where they're learning and they're not hating. You want them to love the game. You want them to have fun. Those are the things that are important in regards to coaching football. If football isn't fun, then kids aren't going to like playing it, and kids aren't going to play it as well as they can. And that's a real problem. So Maryland is under the gun and in real difficulty. Now let's tackle the last question before we get to our guest. What did I do for the Lions' first game? I was an idiot, and I actually stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning and watched it. It's... uh. It was one of those things where uh, I had to, okay? Uh, I had not done – I hadn't been in that position for 31 years. I mean, I've been at every Lions game for 31 years, and I was at every preseason opener. And for the first time in 31 years, I wasn't. So I listened on the radio to the broadcast. It was fine. I'm not going to knock the broadcast. I think Lomas Brown did a good job. And I I love Dan Miller to death, and Dan is about as good as they get on the play-by-play. And I watched the game on television. And it was funny, my feelings, yeah, I missed it. But then again, I was able to go to bed and get up the next day and go to a movie. And then I wouldn't have been able to do that if I were at that game because I would have had to find a flight 
sometime the day afterwards and fly all day back from San Francisco and Oakland to Detroit. I would have not gotten home till six o'clock at night. I would have been dead tired. I would have slept and probably lost most of Sunday too. So from that perspective, at my age and where I'm doing right now, time is really, really valuable. So that was the good part about it. And it's funny how the little things can get to you. The little thing that got to me about the Lions game and me not doing it is I'm on the Lions email string. So I get their pregame email uh, to give me the information about the game. You know, the time of the game, where it is, uh, the stadium. Uh, they give me the starting lineups, the two deeps. They give me quotes from Matt uh, Patricia, the head coach of the Lions, as they prepare. And then they have a little block box in there. They say media coverage. And it's TV was Fox Sports Detroit. And the radio coverage was uh, on WJR Radio, play-by-play announcer Dan Miller, color analyst Lomas Brown. Well, when I read that, I said, Oh, man, that got to me because for the first time in 31 years, my name wasn't there. So that was a funny little thing that gets to your head. Isn't it amazing what what little things can kind of get to you? Now, when I read it, there it was in black and white. I'm not doing the games. I mean, it was one of those things in my head I knew I wasn't doing the games, and it was the first time in 31 years. But when you see it in black and white, and I don't blame Lomas at all. Lomas had nothing to do with my getting uh, terminated from WJR. That was all WJR. But when you see it in black and white and you see Lomas and Brown as the color commentator, that kind of makes a little thing in your brain that said, hey, this is legit, man. It's over. So if you're asking what I was doing, that's what I did. I watched it. Uh, I have to talk about the Lions because I'm doing this show. Uh, but it was a little bit of a hiccup when I actually didn't see my name there. But beyond that, I'm good. I'm ready to go. And speaking of the Lions, we are going to talk with a guy who knows a lot about the Lions, and we're going to give our first opinion on what we saw against Oakland. Stay with us. The Brandy Show is a Zing Media Group production. Zing Media Group, tell your story. We are back, and uh, we're going to talk uh, NFL and Lions football with Scott Bischoff. Scott is a staff writer with Football Guys, the Lions Wire. He's a member of the Pro Football Writers Association, the Football Writers Association. And you can catch him on Twitter at at Bischoff underscore Scott. Scott Bischoff, how are you? I'm great, Jim. How are you doing? We're doing great. i got to tell everybody that uh, when we first met, it was on an NFL Lions draft show. And this guy knew more stuff about players. I mean, he was like the Mel Kuyper of a local. How did you do all that research on all these guys that were in the draft? I watch a lot of football. You must have a it's, dull life. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's exciting. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's exciting to be able to watch football and then you get to, you know, I, I travel and I, I go to the shrine game, the senior bowl, and I'm kind of, you know, into all that stuff. And, and, uh, just being around people who, who are as well. Uh, lots of conversations and lots of chat goes on. And, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, I love what I do. It's great. And you're based. Football. Yeah, and you're, it's football. No, I agree with you. But and you're based out of the Detroit area, right? Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm a long, long time Lions fan. And, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, it's good. It's, uh, I love the draft. I think that it's, it's always interesting. You know, for me, it's, it's kind of like uh, – I love watching people who are great at what they the things they do. So watching some of these superstar football players is just super intriguing. No, I agree. And, you know, and, and what makes it work? I agree with you. The uh, thing I've told people before is that if a guy makes an NFL roster, 
he's part of the Top Gun group because they're the best in the world at what they do. Now, I've heard, yeah. you know, and here's what I don't like. You get people out there going, oh, that guy's terrible. He can't do this. He can't do And I say, wait a minute. This guy is getting paid to do this in the National Football League. There's nobody else in the world that can do that. So don't ever tell me somebody in the National Football League or the NBA or the NHL, for that matter, isn't Top Gun. In, in, in what they do. That, that's what bothers me about some people who tend to get real critical of players who've made it into that league. I, would, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even tell you that the undrafted free agents and, and some of the players who aren't, you know, draft picks are still the rarest of the rare as far as being athletic and being able to do the things that they, they do. It's just, it's incredible to watch a practice up close and, and real close and the, just the size, the physicality, yeah. how fast these guys are, the things that they're willing to do, uh, you know, I think they're insane, but you know, that's a, that's a, I guess a separate conversation for another time, but yeah, it yeah, is. it's amazing what they're willing to do. Well, I've told people, if you really want to know what football is all about and what the National Football League is all about, get a sideline pass and stand down there during a game. Oh yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it is violent. Scary. It is. It is one of those things where you leave that sideline and you say to yourself, well, "How did these guys survive?" That, that's that's the toughness of this football game. But in the meantime, we've done that. Let's talk about the Lions now. First game, Oakland. They lose. It's it's preseason, and everybody out there that's listening, don't base your idea of what the Lions are going to be on preseason football. It means nothing. But it's about evaluating talent. What did you see in that game? I saw a running back that I liked. Uh, I didn't really get a read on Frank Ragnow, their number one draft pick in the offensive line. Uh, I think he's got some things to learn, and the physicality, I think, got to him a little bit. And to me, he plays a little high. But what did you see in that first game, a Lions loss at Oakland in the preseason? Well, I I will agree with you with with Ragnow that he allowed uh, P.J. Hall, who's a very short, I want to say 5'11", a very short defensive tackle to use leverage and get under his pads. And if there's a lesson for Ragnar to learn there, it's that you got to drop, you got to drop those hips and, and, and get as low to the ground as you can. Cause, cause if somebody gets up underneath your pads, they're going to move you. And he was moved a little bit. Now I think he responded well. And I think, he, you know, on the touchdown on Abdullah's touchdown, he made a nice down block on, on, on Hall and, you know, but for his first game, you know, against NFL talent, I, I thought he looked fine. Uh, I would say that, both Abdullah looked, uh, you know, I thought Abdullah looked pretty good, and he was kind of written off a little bit, but on Johnson looks fantastic. He has, in throughout training camp, not just as a runner. I mean, in camp, it's, you, you know how it is. I mean, sometimes in camp, you see a guy like uh, Abdullah over the past couple of years just gashing the defense, and you think, wow, this guy's really good. Well, he's doing that because maybe somebody made a, some, you know, a defender might have jumped inside instead of playing his position or, you know, um, that kind of quickness where he can he can get to the edge, he'll win that way. But with with Carryon Johnson, it's more he's patient and he's got really good vision to find cutback lanes, and it's those are rare things where you're where you get a handoff and you're willing to wait and allow blockers to get set up in front of you, and then you have the quickness and burst to get through those holes and find cutback lanes. So uh, I think it's tough at this point to not be excited about what we're seeing out of Carryon Johnson. It's very it's it's hard not to kind of get over your skis on that one. Right. And and again, I caution people, this is preseason and uh he looked good in game one and rookies have a tendency to be inconsistent. In one game they're really good, and the next game they're not so good. Uh and, and he's very good at pass protection. That's what I've heard. I haven't been out to practice to see him, but I've heard he that. Is. But 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 back he is, and yeah. that'll keep him on the field right. in certain scenarios. Uh, third it'll, downs it'll especially. Keep him on the field. 
which yeah. is where maybe that's where Theo Riddick gets a problem because he's supposedly a third down back. Well, if Johnson can pull this stuff off on third down and be that pass protector and be a weapon offensively, maybe that puts Riddick in a bit of a bind in regards to making the final roster. Or you put them on the field together. And and you 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 know you put Riddick out of the slot or you put Carry on Johnson out of the slot and then and then I mean we know you you know you knew watching the Lions offense last year that if Theo Riddick was in it as a running back generally speaking it was a passing play right it, it, it just kind of how it went they have to get away from showing their hand like that and I think if you put both those guys on the field it's going to confuse defenses they're not going to have a clue as to what what the Lions are going to be doing on offense but then why'd you but pay you get, but why'd you then pay you know Legarrette Blunt all that money. Uh, you paid them for one year. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, you know, this team, these guys have shown that, yeah, well, let's, let's take a, a flyer on a guy like LeGarrette Blunt, but if it doesn't work, then, then, you know, you, you, it's Cutter or Johnson could, could take his job pretty easily. I, you know, I mean, it's, it's one year. Uh, my assumption is that LeGarrette Blunt is going to be here for one season and that's it. Uh, if carry on Johnson surpasses LeGarrette Blunt and becomes their starting running back and Riddick is their, is their, Passing special or passing down specialist, and I, I mean, I think that's a great scenario. You didn't give. I mean, I don't think they gave Blunt all that much money, you know, to where they they can't feel uncomfortable about. All right, this rookie has surpassed him, and it's better than him right now. We need to play him. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great scenario. In fact, I would say that's your best case scenario. Is that if if Carryon Johnson's better than Blunt now, you hit a home run. Well, that'd be great if it is. But again, this is the first preseason game. Like I said, yeah. maybe we shouldn't get out out of our, our skis a little bit here. I, I fully am. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I noticed <laughs> that. It's hard not to. I noticed that. Okay. Defensively, uh, in that game, I mean, it's first preseason game. Let's give it a rest. But I don't like when you give up over 140 yards rushing. Just I don't care. Is it is it the Patricia new system that guys are getting used to, or is it maybe they've got some holes they've got to fill? I think it's both, and I think that with Patricia and specific to this roster and even connecting the dots with what the Patriots roster look like, they are going to be as vanilla as you could possibly be on defense throughout this entire preseason. They're not going to show – they're not going to really show anything but traditional sort of normal looks in games. And Patricia historically has, has kind of game – Planned, schemed, matched, matched up um, to break to get pressure, and to do certain things on defense to allow you know players to make plays. And generally, that's the, the you know your defensive linemen are are more technical, and they need to just hold up at the line of scrimmage and allow the linebackers to sort of get downhill and get to the ball. And I think that you know, obviously, uh, like you said, you know. The rushing yardage is a problem. I don't think that they're great up front. I, I think when you look at Ashawn Robinson and Sylvester Williams, those guys are big, but are they are they dominant physical? Uh, you know, are, are they are they really uh, you know making their hay up front? I, not right now, and I don't think it looked like it. But I think that we have to give some consideration that it's it's a very vanilla defense that they're that they're running, and you know, Anson didn't play and. Yep. You know, there's there's a lot of things that are going to go into what makes this defense tick once once live bullets are flying, and and all, most of that is the stuff that we are just not going to see in the preseason. Yeah. If, if I mean, I'll tell anybody listening, if you want to see what Patricia's defense is capable of doing, watch the Patriots Titans game from the playoffs last year, and what they did to shut down that running game and confuse Marcus Mariota, the quarterback 
with a spy who, who they kind of moved all over the field. And, it, and they confused Mariota because he didn't know where that spy was going to be on a, on a play-by-play basis. And it's just super smart football. And I, I would say that we have to give this defense a little bit of time. Um, but in the end, I do think there are holes. I do think that they will struggle at times to defend the run. Uh, you know, I mean, there's some young pieces. Jared Davis is a young player. Uh, is I mean, do they have perfect fits for for what they're going to be doing? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd love I'd love for there to be a dominant anchor like a, like a Haloti Nada type in the middle of this defense. But I will tell you, over the last couple of days, being down at camp, seeing what they're doing with Ziggy, it's super intriguing. He's he's going from standing up as an outside linebacker to lining up in like a wide nine technique. Right, and they're also kicking him all the way inside to play like as a three technique with three down linemen. Right, so they're going to be they're going to be moving him all over the, the place. The, and I think they you should know, because he's versatile like that. But the deal with Ziggy is he's got to stay healthy. Yes, I mean he, if, if he doesn't play sixteen games, well, fourteen games, thirteen games, I don't care, but more than twelve, and and that's where Ziggy's got to go. Last question, real quick: is there is there a battle for the backup quarterback, uh, Jake Rudock and Matt Castle? Just because we know Matthew's going to be the guy. I mean, there's no question he's the starting quarterback. He's the leader of this team. But is is there a battle? And will they carry three or will they carry two? There is clearly a battle. And it's going to ultimately just depend on what, what they want from the backup position. They want a reliable guy who, who's run an NFL offense before. And, you know, um, an, an adequate backup, that's Matt Castle. Um, do they want a developing young quarterback who that might be able to flip for something, that would be Rudock. I would tell you that I don't think Rudock has looked especially good during training camp. But it, at the end of the day, the Lions are in a lot of trouble if Matt Stafford were to miss time. And it, <laughs> between the two of them, it almost doesn't matter. Uh, but, yeah, there's a camp battle going on, and, and I, I just think that it's going to depend on, you know, what are you looking for out of the backup position? My guess is that if you're going to keep – my guess is that if you're you're keeping two and let's say you cut Rudock, he's going to get picked up somewhere, and and I, I would imagine Castle might get picked up somewhere too. So, you know, the problem with the keeping three quarterbacks is that there's so many positions on the roster where you got to you know you're going to have to be trimming players off the roster that are definitely going to get picked up elsewhere. And you know, I just can't see him. I can't see him keeping three quarterbacks. Uh, you know, unless they unless they're they really feel that Rudock has a, a long term future and it just isn't quite there yet. Uh, that would be the only caveat to that. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Scott, thanks very much for the time. I really appreciate it. You were great. Now, nope. where can folks go to find your work? They can go to Football Guys. Uh, that's more fantasy-related stuff. Uh, I'm working at uh, mattwaldmanrsp.com. That's going to be draft-related stuff. And uh, Lions-specific stuff is, is lionswire.com, and you can find me on Twitter and, and uh, kind of all over the place at this point. Well, I can't thank you enough. You know your stuff, man. Uh, like I said, that was uh, 12, 13 minutes of fast football talk. We appreciate your your time, Scott. Anytime, Jim. Thanks for having me on. You bet. That's Scott Bischoff, everybody. And that'll do it for today's podcast. We want to thank all of you for joining us. Uh, hopefully that's uh, an idea of what you're going to get uh, as we go through the football season. And don't forget, we got a suggestion box for all of you. If you want to talk to us about what you want to hear, what you'd like to hear, uh, or a suggestion of what where we could go with this podcast, go to thebrandyshow.com. We'll have a spot there for you to make that suggestion, and we'll try to uh, do our best to make sure it gets done. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Uh, it's this edition of The Brandy Show.